Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So holy one to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. This is our online edition, of course. And right now we're two days past Christmas and I don't know about you, but for me, I'm not quite ready to give up Christmas today. I I, I, I want to dwell on it more. And if you will, I'd like to even though Advent generally stops at Christmas, we got a late start to our series, so I'd like to do one more Advent sermon focusing on the traditional text that the Incarnation is talked about. This is the incarnational moment, and if we think about it, um, this is a very monumental event. The Incarnation is the moment where God uh, has broken into creation. He broke into his own creation, and therefore we need to assume that At some level, there's going to be mystery here. At some level, there's going to be uh, mysterious happenings. That his coming will be mysterious and his going is going to be mysterious. And therefore, I think it's important for us to think through and look at the real implications of this moment. Why does this matter? Uh, How does it apply? What does it mean? If we dwell on these things, I think we can see how the incarnation can actually affect us. Let's do it in three ways. Let's look at what this teaches us. Let's look at how to receive it. And then thirdly, what it will do to you. All right, so what does it teach us? How to receive it? And then what uh, does it do to you? So first, what does the incarnation teach us? And we need to go into our text and look very carefully because in the text what we'll see uh, is that Luke goes to great pains in our text to show us 
that whatever's going on here, it's not ordinary. That in verse 35, when it talks about Gabriel coming and saying that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and uh, have a power that will overshadow you, I think a lot of people uh, read this and they start snickering because they think they're, they're reading it through um, a hypersexualized lens. Uh, there's actually no sexual innuendo that is going on here. No commentary actually really seriously um, sees that because um, really the word here overshadowed is a really beautiful word. It's the same word used about God's glory when it comes into the tabernacle or into the temple. This is um, Exodus chapter 40. Uh, and so it's, it's a word used for God's presence showing up. It's a word for God being present with his people. And now this presence that was with his people in the temple, in the tabernacle, now it's in this baby. And so the imagery is very similar to how when in Genesis 1, God hovered over uh, the deep. It says the spirit here hovers over the void in Genesis 1, but the God is hovering. His presence is here and he's about to create. And whereas in Genesis 1, he created out of nothing. In some ways, you know, we know creation happens between two humans, but here God creates out of nothing again. So I think Luke is trying to do right now is he's trying to stress the specialness and the mystery of the incarnation. That this is the moment when in verse 32, God the Son, the Most High, takes on human nature. That this is the moment when in verse 35, the Holy One uh, is born. In other words, the incarnation, this moment, is when God broke into the world. It's when he broke through. It's when he bursts forth in the most unexpected way. And it's the most unlooked for way. Uh, scholars like to point out that there is actually no other real Jewish eyewitness account of some sort of virgin birth. It just simply was not possible until it was. And when it did, it became the most important human event in history. It is because it's the, it's the moment of intervention. It's the moment of involvement. It's the moment in history when God becomes human. Now you might say, you might say, well, that's actually not very special. There's a lot of other traditions out there where God becomes human. Take the Greeks, for instance, right? The Greeks conceived of God or gods being human all the time. And that's actually true. Except note that those gods were flawed. Greek gods mimicked human vices. The Greek gods were always um, dealing with the same issues that humans have. That's because the Greeks were always talking about the ideal versus the real, the, the form versus the particular, the, the transcendent is considered good. The spiritual was good, but the finite, the, the, the human flesh, that, that was bad. And so uh, what we have here then is this is the reversal of all that. That this is the stunning reality where the incarnation says that the form actually becomes the example. That these are not two different things. The, 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 the ideal becomes real. The transcendent becomes finite. The perfect becomes flawless and becomes part of his own design. And in so doing, changes history. 
revolutionize, revolutionizes reality as it rewrites creation. Let me try to give you an example of this. In 1961, pretty famous um, moment happened. I think Russia um, actually got into outer space before America, and the man who went up there was a man named Yuri Gargarin. Now, Yuri Gargarin, he, when he came back, he very proudly and very prominently told everybody that he went up to space and he didn't see God. I did not find God. And um, when I was in college, I was trying to read through a lot of C.S. Lewis then. And there's this little-known essay that Lewis wrote in 1963, I think a couple years after this. And he, it's titled, Onward, Christian Spaceman. And it's really a response to what Yuri said here because... You know, what Lewis ends up saying is that if there is a God, this is a quote from the, from the, I looked it up, the essay, this is a quote. He says, if you're looking for him by exploring space, that's like reading all of Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you'll find Shakespeare. And I think what Lewis is pointing at, I think what he's trying to get at is that uh, the only way for a character in all of Shakespearean uh, literature for them to ever know who Shakespeare would have been, he would have had to have written himself into the play somehow. Right? The creator is not in creation, but outside of it. And so if God created the universe, you're actually never going to see him in one particular place in the universe. His, his handiwork is everywhere, but he's not actually ever seen. So side point, for all those people out there that goes, well, if there is a God, there should be some evidence of him. Lewis would say, no. Why, why would you assume? Why is that an assumption that you would actually see him? Only Christianity says you will see him if he wrote himself into creation. And that's exactly what the incarnation is about. That you can know him and that you will know him. That he, has, he is actually here. John 1 says that Jesus was the word of God. And then here in verse 37, it says that, wor that the word of God never fails. In other words, God wrote himself into the play of life so that we could know him. That is the, the key aspect of the incarnation. That is what the incarnation is trying to teach us. Now, secondly, fine, how do you receive this? If uh, it's, it's, I think it's one thing for us to have this story and to read this story over and over again uh, during Christmas. It's one thing to rehearse it and maybe even memorize it in your head, but have you really absorbed it? Have you really taken it in? Have you really let it hit you? Uh, luckily for us, we have an example of what it looks like to receive the incarnation, and this is in the person of Mary. Let's look at what she does, because I think she, there's a progression that happens here. The first thing that she does in verse 29 is it says that she's troubled. Right? The, the first stage of really getting the incarnation, incarnation is actually allowing yourself to struggle with and to wrestle with the enormity of the claim, of what's happening. Look at the text. It says, she says, she's greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, right? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is this something that is going to change my life? Is this something that's not going to change my life? How should I act in light of it? Those were the questions of Mary. And she was disturbed by it. She was disrupted by it. 
that she was going on and on with her life, what was going to happen? She was pledged to be married. Um, she had an idea at some point of what it was going to look like. She was going to have kids, and those kids were going to grow up, and she was going to raise them. She had all these plans until her life was changed by the incarnation. And the question is, is will you let it change your plans? Will you let it disturb your plans for your life? We need to allow ourselves to have our plans changed by the resurrection. You know, I thought my life was going to go this way, and now it's not going to go this way. And the problem is, as New Yorkers, we love to have our plans. We love to know exactly how our lives are going to go. And um, I think the reason why there's a lot of duress in our lives is when they don't go the way they're supposed to go. But God breaking into creation. What that means is God is also breaking into your plans for how your life should go. That, that, I think that's the case for Mary, and it's going to be the case for you. Do you think that she really wanted to tell her friends that, you know, that, uh, that, you know what really happened with her pregnancy? Do you, really want to, do you really think she was happy that people thought she was lying? Do you think she wanted to live in that shame? Do you think she wanted to be doubted and sneered at? People talking about her behind her back? Do you think she wanted her son to die when he was 30, in his 30s? Do you think... She wanted that he was going to be killed. I mean, she had a hard life, and yet God used it for good to bring about the kingdom because she allowed herself to be disturbed. Ask yourself, before we move on here, will you allow your plans to change? Will you allow God to disrupt your life and disturb your life? That's the first step to accepting the incarnation is that you might be doubted, you might be sneered at, you might be misunderstood, but God has come to change everything. So that's the first step. Be disturbed, disrupted. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Secondly, the second step to receiving the incarnation is to ask questions. Look what happens. And right after she's disturbed in verse 34, she begins to ask questions, pertinent questions. Like, for instance, how is this possible? That's a very fair question to ask. Um, what does this mean? Um, she's acting, asking practical questions. She's asking important questions. What, what this is revealing to us is, after you're disturbed and, and disrupted, you can ask questions because faith is not, you know, more than asking questions, but it's definitely not less than that. This is why, by the way, at Redeemer and Lincoln Square, one of our founding values that what we started with from day one in our vision was that we value questions and those who ask them. And we did that because we live in an expert culture in New York City where questions are seen as not knowing and people are afraid of that. But we have to change the rules of the game. We have to say, no, it's not 
who knows what and what knows what. It's, it's allowing ourselves to all have questions and to have a curiosity about that, a, a curiosity about ourselves, a curiosity about others. That would change not just how we did church together. It's going to change how we do life together. So memorize that phrase. We value questions and those who ask them. Because it's asking us to be vulnerable enough with ourselves and be vulnerable enough with others to express ourselves. I think Mary felt comfortable enough to ask these questions. She felt comfortable enough to, 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 to come forward with these things. That's why we do Q&R after most services during this year. I mean, not, right, not tonight, but um, we do. And we hope that you might be able to Ask questions. And not just think about those questions, but listen in. I think that's why we offer it after every one of all of our services. We want people to be able to listen in to say, oh, I, this is what's going on here. This is what's happening. Because we're, we're, we're comfortable with people kind of processing those things. And even if you don't have those questions, somebody else might have those questions. And so the question is, will you allow yourself to be those? Will you not be afraid ask questions of the incarnation? Will you not be afraid to be vulnerable, to be curious, curious of this, curious of yourself, curious of other people and those around us and those around the church? It begins with stating that you know what you don't know and then asking it, asking like a teenager, asking like like Mary, how can this be? What will this mean? Right? You, you can get there, um, but you can't get to the incarnation without it. That's what it's saying. Now, the last thing to receive the incarnation in time is in verse 38. In verse 38, it says that we need to actually do accept it. It says that Mary, in the very end, says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary uh, then says, may your word be to me fulfilled. Right? This is acceptance. It becomes operable in her life. But that only happens if we allow it to become settled in our life. We have to hold on to it. We have to own it. We have to allow it to be that way. We have to take it in. And so back up for a second in all this and see how balanced this is. To receive the incarnation, Mary first struggles, which is completely normal. It's completely okay if if, um, we do that. It shows us that we're allowing ourselves to struggle, struggle, and other people can struggle. But then Mary asks questions. Again, that's not a problem. We value questions in those who ask them. But then there's a place that we actually allow it to become settled in us. C.S. Lewis, in a different place, actually says that if you're constantly seeing through everything, if you're constantly poking holes through everything, then it's the same thing as seeing nothing at all. Right? That, that means if your goal is to poke holes and be cynical and then never land anywhere, and never allow something to be true in your life. Uh, to never allow something to be real in your life, then that, that's actually the same as never seen because you never settle and sit in a place. The balance of, of what's happening in the incarnation in Mary's life right now, the way she's receiving it is she's allowing herself to wrestle with it. She's allowing herself to struggle and to ask questions, but then she gets to a place where she can say, may your word be fulfilled to me. And so this should be encouragement for you, that if, if you've struggled, if you've had questions, if you've sat in a space and said, 
I don't know. That's okay. But then you need to get to a place where you can say, may your word be fulfilled to me. When was the last time you've said that? Because if you do, I think what it would do is it would, it would transform your life. What, last thing to do here is let's look at um, how might this look like in our lives. Because all this struggling is actually pretty heady stuff if you think about it, you know, asking questions and, and, and moving through things. But if we do that and never allow it to move into action, you can't actually get to this last step. So go back to verse 38. Um, and what you see here is not just a hopeful platitude. You're not seeing Mary basically say, thanks, angel. Maybe your word will be fulfilled to me. No, this is an actual declaration uh, to, uh, uh, that's going to come to fruition even just eight verses later. This isn't in our text. Um, we didn't have t- space to print it all. But if you go down to verse 46, what's traditionally known as Mary's song, Mary allows the truth of the incarnation to break into her life. And so God breaks into creation, but then the incarnation broke into her life And it manifested itself in this song, which is why she starts singing, my soul glorifies in the Lord, my spirit rejoices. You say, okay, why is that? Because of how she is allowing the incarnation into her life. If you allow the incarnation in your life, you want to know what it looks like, it will bring two things, God's love and God's hope. Let's let's, let's look at those quickly. God's love, God's hope. God's love is found throughout the entire text. The fact that he comes at all in the first place, I think, is, is some level of seeing God's love. It's, it's him breaking in. Um, but I think this is actually made more manifest in verse 37 where it says, no word from God will ever fail. And I was thinking about this passage, this phrase all week. What does it look like that God's love will never, you know, no word from God will ever fail? And it reminds me of, of biblical love. That biblical love is not flighty. It's not something that you can fall in or out of. Modern love is that. The conception of modern love that I always think, I think it's hysterical. That you're kind of walking along and you fall, then you fall into love. Oh, I've fallen into love. And then you can, I've fallen out of love as, as if it's like a vat of goo. I'm in love. Now I'm out of love. That, that is a very uh, unstable space to be in, in, mo- in modern mind. Because modern love says that, that you can fall in and out of it. And the reason why is because we prize human freedom when the concept of love, the most basic element, is actually commitment. It's to stay. It's, it's to be still, to, to be permanent with somebody else, which is, of course, the opposite of freedom. You can't really love somebody well unless you're willing to give up your freedom that you know exactly how my life should go and where, where it should go. But that's what it means to make a commitment to somebody else. Biblical love is rooted in commitment. It is rooted in a promise. It's rooted in a covenant. It's rooted in a statement where God says, I will always be with you. I will never let you down. I'll always let you in. And that's what it means when it says, no word from God will ever fail. That's the sign of his commitment. That's the sign of the incarnation, active in your life. It means even though we've turned away from him, he's not turned away from us. True love never fails. You've heard that phrase, because true love never leaves. 
that there's no better representation, I think, of the incarnation than God bursting forth into the world through the confines of reality into creation to find you. There is nothing more lovely than that because the incarnation is active in your life will show you God's love because of what God did. What did he do? He became killable for you. He came down to die for you. There is no commitment bigger than that. When it says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, I like to sometimes translate the word love with commitment. God was so committed to the world that he gave his only son. I, almost every night when I pray with my, with my kids, I say, Dear Jesus, I pray that we will remember what you did for us. Why? Because if we knew the love that you gave us, then we'll be able to move out and love other people. That you are so committed to us, that's, that's only the reason why we can be so committed to our neighbors and our friends and other people around us. God's love is found in the incarnation. Now, secondly, God's hope. Now, when Mary says later in chapter, uh, in, the, in the chapter that my soul glorifies and uh, you know, my soul rejoices, I think this is important to note. She's not actually talking intellectually at this point. She's not saying, I've realized who God is more. That's not what's happening. When she says her soul and her spirit rejoices, that is a deeper experiential moment. That's, it's something beyond thought and words and hopes and dreams. It goes into our storyline, into our, our hidden wounds even. See, what's, what's she rejoicing? She's saying, I have God as a Savior. She's saying, I know who he is to me. Now, what is that? That's because of the incarnation. That's the hope that she has. And now remember, God as Savior is not just an intellectual thing. It's not an existential thing. In the incarnation, it becomes a physical thing. God as a person slammed in the flesh. Human DNA and matter matters. The world matters. We said this the other week. Look at verse 33 again. That this Savior is king. And his kingdom will never end. And that's not, that's not, just a, that's not a metaphor. Luke is saying that God is not going to abandon the world. That the incarnation coming in, it means no matter how bleak, how dark, how hard the world is, he is going to do something about it. He is going to redeem it. And that means there's no greater hope in the world than that. That means God loves your soul and your body. That means as changed individuals, we don't just go out and minister in word as if we only care about somebody's spiritual life. We actually minister in deed because we care about their physical life too. So when it says rejoice, it's not because you're just saved in sort of out-of-bodied experiences. He's saving mind and body. He's fusing them together. And this means creation matters. This means work matters. This means our activity in the city matters. How we talk to others matter. How we dress, how we act, it all matters. There's nothing more life-affirming than the incarnation. Now, to get really blunt about it, your greatest care in the world now is not to have a comfortable life. It's not just, it's not just to provide for you and your family. Sorry, 
That's not your highest calling. That's only caring about the physical. God does care about the physical, but it's not less than that. It's more than that. It's caring about all of creation. It's all the physical. It's the metaphysical. That's, that's why we can be so heartened when Jesus eats a, a fish. Right? What's happening there is it means that his, his, the future body, himself resurrected, is not aphysical. It's, we're not moving to disembodied lives. It's physical, physical re, life remade. That's the hope of the incarnation. It's, it's active in our life, and if you let it be, that hope brings about a vigor and a presence and an activity that goes everywhere. To live out where the needs are now is the calling of the incarnation. And the question you have to ask yourselves is, where will you do that? Where are you allowing yourself to go into creation, into the places that are falling apart? This city has a lot of places for that, but where are you doing it? Because he did. And how did he do it? Because he wrote himself into the story. One last thought before we end. If the creator of all of creation can't be seen by just looking for him in outer space, the only place then you can actually really find him is in the incarnation. Every human, I think, knows this in the depths of our heart. You want to know why? Because I think every human somehow knows intuitively that good should overcome evil. But why? I don't think you get that by just looking around at life. First of all, if you just look at current events, you don't necessarily see good triumphing over evil. If you look at nature, the concept of even good and evil is gone, right? There's just, there is not, there's just the strong versus the weak. In nature, you see power trumping power, right? So, and so I, the question we have to ask ourselves is then why are we such suckers for a good, happy ending movie? Why do we cry when our heroes give themselves up in the end? When Gandalf sacrifices himself, when old Yeller dies, when Mufasa dies, Spock dies, Dumbledore, John Coffey in the Green Mile, um, Will Smith in I Am Legend, Dobby, Primrose Everdeen, Tris Pryor, Jon Snow, Hoarder, Sidney Carton in the Tale of Two Cities, the Iron Giant. I mean, we could just do a list of all these characters. Why do those hero deaths all always hit us? They hit us because they gave their lives up for us. They are pictures that point to what the incarnation is pointing to. And if we really are invested in those stories, you want to know what would happen? If you, in each one of those stories, in, generally, we want those heroes back. That's why we're constantly rereading or rewatching these things. We want them back. We want their deaths to not be real. And if the incarnation is true, the, truth, the, the reason why these things are real is because they point to the, the true story, which means that we will actually get these heroes back. All those stories end in the true story of God's plan of redemption. When Jesus broke into history, he broke into the old narrative that death wins in the end. He broke into that and destroyed it. The happy endings in all of our fiction are pointed to the very same thing, that death does not win, that this world will be redeemed that there is a rainbow after the storm, that there is light after darkness, that there is a tidal wave of joy and love that every Christian right now can tap into 
and access. That every happy ending story that you ever read, you can be sure that it's actually literally true because we know how it's going to end. That means all the stories that we have with happy endings are ultimately true because they point to the true story. And that means there's hope for you and me. Will you access the incarnation today? It's, it's even after Christmas right now, but you can still access it. This year, next year, the rest of your life. The girl in our text, the scared, teenaged Mary, she questioned, she, she doubted, she wondered, but she got settled, and then she said, may, may your word be fulfilled. I don't fully get it, but I know that you're doing something new. That's what she said. That's what you can say. If you held that in, if you held that you can be fully human and fully divine, just like he's fully human and fully divine, that you can be present physically in the here and now, right now, and yet know that you will live forever with him. Can we give you one last side thought here uh, to let you go? Um, reading this text, I think you go over this, and we're going to talk about this in our next series in the new year. The Messiah was supposed to be of the line of David. Uh, and the whole Old Testament talks about that. It's supposed to be somebody who's a descendant of David. Have you ever wondered how Jesus actually is a descendant of David? Because Mary is not. We're told Joseph is a descendant, right, in verse 27. But we know also Joseph had no role in creating Jesus. And so the only way Jesus could have been a descendant of David was by adoption. That Joseph had to adopt him as his son. And therefore the full legal rights were transferred to him. If it was enough for Jesus to be considered in the line of David through adoption, imagine if you accepted your adoption to be real too, that you are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Let that hit you the incarnation affect you, act like it, live it out in confidence, and this world will be changed and remade one moment at a time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, this is a good word. Uh, this is a, it's hard for us, Father, because Christmas is so regular. It comes every year. I pray we will use it every year in our lives to re-remind ourselves of the utter craziness that the incarnation reveals to us. That the creator has, has written himself into creation that you have come and revealed yourself to us. That if we want to know who you are, we want the best conception of your nature, we have to come to your son. Help us to understand his love for us and so we can move out in love for the world. Help us to see that, you, that the physical is not something to leave but something to redeem. And that gives then major value to all that we're doing. Help us to bracket what we're doing, not find our identity in these things, but to, but to actually love them, to be here, to be present, to serve your city, Father. Turn our hearts and minds towards you and all that we do. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.